You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who believes that every time a bell emoji is used, a hashtag angel gets its wings. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Eric, that was a really good one. Anyway, today in the red chair is Jana Messerschmidt, a partner at the venture capital firm Lightspeed. She's also the co-founder of Hashtag Angels, a group of investors that came together in 2015 with the mission of getting more women on the cap tables of successful startups. Jana has also worked in business development at Netflix and Twitter, and I'm thrilled to have her here on Recode Decode. Thanks for having me. So I want to talk a lot about a lot of things because not that there's very few women venture capitalists because there's sort of more than before. Um, but I want to talk, I don't want to just focus on women things with you. I want to talk about also startups and how you think about investing and everything else. But let's get a little bit into your background because you've had a really interesting path to venture capital. Yeah, definitely. As, as an operator, really. I often joke I started off my career as an engineer and I recently found myself working in finance. Yeah, okay. How did that so, happen? <laughs> so talk about your background so people get a sense of, sort of your career trajectory. Yeah, so actually I grew up in a small town mm-hmm. called Manitou, Illinois, mm-hmm. population about 1,600 people All right. um, in the central part of Illinois. Well, we will try not to hold that against you, but go ahead. <laughs> Do you know where Peoria, Illinois is? Not really. Okay. I'm going to Indiana this weekend with Eric Anderson, who you know from Twitter. I do. I hear you guys are going to a popcorn thing. I'm just, whatever. What I do for my employees. Eric and I have bonded over this many times Mm -hmm. because my hometown festival is also called the Popcorn Festival. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I'm glad that she's taking you there. Okay, good. You will most likely get fried Snicker bars. I will not be eating those, but move along, Jana. (laughs) All right, you're Midwestern. I'm I'm the the real Americans. I'm sorry, you're from real Americans. Yes. Like as if people in California aren't real, but okay, go ahead. So, so I, you come from there, from from that part of the I world. come from there. Mm-hmm. I always had an interest in technology, mm-hmm. um, and I always in particular had an interest in gadgets. Mm-hmm. So my dad and I, we used to go to like Circuit City when it existed and mm-hmm. Best Buy on the weekends, and we would play around with like any of the new hardware that came what, out. What got you interested in it? Just Was it just an just. I think it was just a natural interest. And my dad, I would say, could be described as a gadget guy. Mm -hmm. He was always into it. And so basically, like when I decided that I was going to go off to college, I was like, I want to know how computers work. Mm -hmm. I want to know how gadgets work. And your dad encouraged it, which is critical. There's always anybody, any, especially women that have interests in technology, it's always a parent that really pushed them towards it, or at least encouraged it, that feeling, and not didn't discourage it. You know, I always excelled at math and science, Mm -hmm. and my mom was actually my preschool teacher. Mm -hmm. She had the one preschool in our small town, and they always noticed that I liked math and science, so they're like, you should explore this. Right. So, decided to go to University of Illinois, Mm -hmm. major in computer engineering, which is focused on hardware, strictly to really serve, like, wanting to know how hardware and computers worked. Right. And I got there, I'll admit, I was a little bit blindsided. (laughs) By By what? um, You know, I think growing up in a small town, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of prep to kind of go off to university or major in tough subjects. Mm -hmm. And when I started at university, pretty much everyone came in with all of these AP credits. They were coming in as sophomores or juniors. Mm They had already taken advanced calculus or Mm -hmm. advanced, like, courses. I didn't have any of that. Right. So I went from being, you know, the smartest kid in my class Mm -hmm. to, like, oh, shit, I've got a lot of catch-up to do. Right. So right. it was a little bit of a rude awakening, but mm-hmm. it was a phenomenal experience. University of Illinois so is a great So hardware, college. why hardware versus computer engineering? 
Well, actually, um, computer engineering is more of a focus on hardware than software. Right. So CS is focused on software. Computer right. engineering is hardware. Right, right. So and, why that? Um, I'd say two things. One, really wanting to understand at like the most basic component chip level mm-hmm. how bits and bytes worked. And then number two is this computer engineering was supposedly harder than CS, mm-hmm. and I always like a challenge. <laughs> okay. And so what did you hope to do? What was your, you wanted to make, what, gadgets or So this is whatever. the funny thing. Like Cell phones? I, I really didn't have much of an idea of, like, mm-hmm. what that career path would look like. I knew that there were a handful of, like, prominent chip companies like Intel and Sun Microsystems and AMD at the time. And I kind of thought I'd go and work for one of those. Right, making chips. Making chips. Designing chips. Yep. Designing chips. So where did you go? So interesting kind of like tangent is while I was in university, I had a few different job offers for a Mm -hmm. co-op. One was actually with Intel to go and design chips. Mm -hmm. And one was with a consulting company. Mm -hmm. And it was to be on a variety of different projects, doing everything from coding to working on pursuit teams, which basically is like trying to win new business, Mm -hmm. to working on developing um, strategies for startups. So I ended up actually selecting consulting because I wanted the variety of experience. Right, and you ended up doing that. I ended up doing that. Yep. So that's so. But you didn't think you needed like a major tech job right away. Just that you thought it was important to move around. Yeah, I kind of wanted exposure to a lot of different things, and that actually opened up my eyes to wow. Like you can do a lot with a technical background. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that you go and code day in and day out or design chips day in and day out. You can go into product management. You can go into marketing. You can go into sales. You can go into biz dev. And then that's kind of what started my trajectory into more of the business side of tech. So were you, were you cognizant of the fact there weren't there many women in hardware or software design, really, that maybe you should move into that? In um, I don't think that I realized it until I got there. Mm-hmm. So I want to say my major was maybe like 2 or 3% female mm-hmm. when I was there. Mm-hmm. So I often was the only woman in the room. And I'll never forget, like, I showed up at this class. It was ECE 340, which was a class on designing solid-state electronic devices. Of course. I I, took that one myself. (laughs) I walk in, and the professor says, oh, um, you know, miss, I think you're in the wrong class. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I think I'm in the right one. He's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, this is like an ECE class. I think you're done in liberal arts. Mm -hmm. And I was like... No, actually, this is my class. <laughs> right, right. So there definitely were a lot of moments like that where but, feeling like you didn't quite belong. So you did consulting for a while. How did you get to Netflix and Twitter? Yeah, so before Netflix, I worked at a startup called Divex, mm-hmm. which you may course. remember yes. back yes. in the day. <laughs> they do. I'm totally blanking. So bad ended. It was a bad ending, wasn't it? Uh, actually, no. Okay, I don't remember. I can't. That name just pops into my head. See, so, I've forgotten more than most people so, know. DivX was originally the failed Circuit City, kind of like erasing DVD format. Oh, yeah, that's right. That never took off. That's right. not the DivX I worked All right, for. Okay, yeah. So there was a guy who was a hacker. His name was Judge Rota. Mm-hmm. And he created a codec that mm-hmm. just was very popular in mm-hmm. the early days of the internet. Mm-hmm. He called it DivX Winky Face, mm-hmm. which was basically like a joke on the failed Circuit City format. Right, it was Circuit City, that's right. And so what did it do? What did it, it... So it was a video codex that compressed video down. Yes, so I it, remember this. It yeah. made it easier to download files yeah. off the internet. Yeah, it's the joke that Silicon Valley, the show had, that it was compressed video. Yes. It, all right, so I remember DivX. I used it. So there was another guy who saw this codec taking off, you know, kind of in the internet world. His name was um, Jordan Greenhall. He was the former CEO of Mm mp3.com. And he had seen what had happened with audio. He's like, the next wave is going to be video. Right. So he tracked Jez down, and he was um, based in a small town in France, got him to come to San Diego and actually start this company, DivX. Right. And so what, what, what people don't realize, it was really compressing video and audio was really important because distribution was, the ability to access information was, broadband was not where it was today. That's correct. So right. I remember in um, undergrad, I could not afford mm-hmm. uh, HBO, right? The $10 a month was way too much for my blood. Mm-hmm. And so I used to download Sopranos and Sex in the City over a dial-up modem mm-hmm. using the DivX codec. Right, because it would compress it, and so it would be faster. It yes. would be essentially, not a lot faster, but faster. It would be faster. So you work for them. Why were you attracted to them? So I love the product God, as a consumer. Yeah. Yeah, love the product as a consumer. And I was a big bl- believer in internet videos going to take off. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of that first step. 
And eventually, everyone will be consuming video content over right. the internet, Smart and you'll be cons- you know you'll be consuming it in real time on demand. Like you won't have to wait for the windows that are kind of the traditional you know TV windows that you watch content. Sure. Okay. So you so went from there. Joined that company. The company actually IPO'd, mm-hmm. like which it IPO'd in two thousand six, mm-hmm. which is kind of the dark days of tech with very few you know kind of tech IPOs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we created a real business model out of it. And this kind of ties back into computer engineering. We were out working with chip companies, with hardware OEMs, with mobile phone providers mm-hmm. to license in the technology so that you could play content back on those different devices. So you moved to San Diego to do this? Yes. Yeah. And where did where did you think it would go? What was your, you know, because this was a, it's a technology that's a transition. There's Technologies that are transitions and then technologies that are here to stay. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yep. I remember thinking a lot of these things. There were a bunch of things like DivX that were, it's on its way to something that everyone's just going to have. Yeah. I think the long-term plan for the company mm-hmm. was that we wanted to connect the home. We wanted to connect the living room. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, and I think, like, the big one was timing. Even though people were starting to download media off mm-hmm. the Internet, it still was not in a place that it was really easy. No, but you were directionally correct. We were directionally correct. And that actually leads to Netflix. Mm-hmm. So Netflix started to get really serious about streaming right. a few it years after Netflix. It had been handing out um, CDs. That was his business yes. initially. Um, I had actually Reed Hastings to a Sundance panel very early on in Netflix's career, and they, they thought of them as the CD company. And I, he and I kept saying, it's going to be something else. It's going to be streaming. And they couldn't, and it's going to be critically important. And they, he, the crowd at Sundance, which was obviously the big film festival, could not understand what he was saying. I had him there, the head of Hulu, Jason Kylar, yep. and Chad Hurley, the head of YouTube. And we kept saying this to this group. And it was really interesting because directionally that was right where it was going. It was just the CDs were the bridge technology. Definitely. And, you know, I think that Netflix did an amazing job of timing the market right. Mm-hmm. Um, so enough people had broadband in homes. Enough people could afford devices that allowed you to stream this content. So you right. probably remember the original Roku player. Yeah, of course. It came out. It was $99. It. Yep. <laughs> and it allowed you just to stream Netflix content. Mm-hmm. Like before that came out, any of the devices that were in the connected living room or connected TV space were like three dollars or $400. Right. So that's a big jump to get a consumer to spend that on a device and then not have great content yet. Right. There was no way to get the Netflix content. Exactly. Yeah. And so Netflix started small with their streaming library, but quickly was able to do a bunch of really interesting content deals, licensing third-party content. Yes, like HBO started. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And of course, that has morphed over time to Netflix now producing their own content, mm-hmm. um, which is you know kind of like, I would say, Netflix version three mm-hmm. um, in terms of the type of company that they've become. But back in those early days, like, it was just a huge, huge win for consumers to be able to access great content cheaply. So why did you go there? How did you get there? Yeah, so they recruited a few of us out of DivX. Do you know um, Bill Holmes? No. So he's the chief business officer. He's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, he was another person who came out of DivX. And so there were probably five or six of us that ended up kind of being in that early team building out Netflix streaming. Mm-hmm. And so what was your thinking at the time? Because this was, again, it was a big jump into the future, and the people did not— at the time, people were, were worried about because they yeah. Reed had changed the pricing. There was controversy around that. He'd apologized for a number of different things. But streaming really was, he put all the eggs in the basket. Absolutely. I mean, I give him huge credit. It's mm-hmm. like you potentially cannibalize your existing business you completely to bet do. on the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think he always saw that streaming was going to be the way forward. And one of the things that's so interesting is actually when he first launched streaming, you in, we included it at no additional cost right, to consumers. Mm-hmm. It was just still like seven ninety nine or eight ninety nine, whatever the price was. And then so many videos. I mean, DVDs. Excuse me. Yeah, and I think like a lot of companies would have been like, "Oh, we have this new product. Like, let's charge more for it." But Reed's like, "This is the future of the business. Like, mm-hmm. why would we add a hurdle to mm-hmm. people trying this out and like seeing the value of streaming?" Right. So it was an incredible consumer value prop. And, and what were you attracted in the idea? Because it was it was early. It was, and I remember remember Jeff. Um, Bukas called it, like, Latvia or some—he compared it. He's not worried about the Latvian army or something, you know. And I remember saying, you're an idiot if you don't understand this is where it's going. I don't know if you remember the first piece of content that you ever streamed. But no, it I was, don't. So the first thing that I ever streamed was actually The Doors. 
Um, oh. And it, or sorry, not the doors, um, the Talking Heads documentary. Oh, okay. And it had been in my Netflix queue. Remember mm-hmm. when you used to have yeah. queues? Sure. And there would always be like content that would take five months to get mm-hmm. because they didn't have enough DVDs and so right. it took a long time to get it. And it was one of those first pieces of content that was available on Netflix. Well, and I'm, I go back a little further. Streaming, I remember Real Networks had started yes. doing streaming very early. And uh, I was just with someone talking about that recently and uh, from Progressive Networks, who had been was called Progressive Networks. And they, at the time, when they did audio to start with, and then they yep. when they did video, Rob Glazier, who was the CEO and founder, yep. had hired Jewel, uh, as I was noting, because she didn't move that much. And so one of the issues was jerkiness because of the slowness. And so Jewel just sat there and strummed her guitar, <laughs> which was, <laughs> didn't jump around or whatever. Anyway, it was kind of it. That was the first thing I saw. And it was was... Even though it was jerky and slow, all those things that you just were like, oh, my God, what did I just do? Yeah, content. I have become the broadcaster. Yeah, content when I want it. Like, it's a really incredible experience. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. The other thing, um, yeah, the other thing that I did, kind of going back to uh, where I grew up um, and nearby Peoria, Illinois, is is there's this saying, it's called, if it plays in Peoria. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Peoria is like a test market of just Mm -hmm. like, will things resonate broadly across Mm -hmm. middle America? And so my litmus test kind of enjoyed joining any consumer company has been talk to friends and family back home. Mm-hmm. So I sent my dad a Roku player mm-hmm. and I'm like, hey, like, check this out. Like, can you get this hooked up and like get it all and activated? It. Do you like it? And he called me back like five minutes after he got the Roku and he's like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but your dad's a geek. So. He is but, a little bit of a geek. <laughs> right. All right. We're here with Jana Messerschmidt. She's a partner at venture capital firm Lightspeed. We're going to take a quick break now and we'll get back to her time at Twitter and how she became a venture capitalist, and also Hashtag Angels, which is a group of investors who came together in 2015 with a mission of getting more women on the cap tables of successful startups. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're here with Jana Messerschmidt. She's a partner at venture capital firm Lightspace. She's done a number of other things. We were just talking about her time at Netflix, which is one of the key things of being a great venture capitalist, I think, is being an operator. And she's been she's worked at a number of companies. So you went from Netflix to Twitter. How did that happen? So you were at Netflix when they made the transition to streaming, which was the most important thing that they did, I think. Yes, definitely. You know, I mean, I was not looking at leaving Netflix. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've read a bunch about the Netflix culture. Yes. The, um, the, I read. I was there when it was happening. And I've had Patty McCormick cord on. And- yeah, I mean, Patty is incredible. Both she and Reed had worked together at Reed's prior company. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they were kind of like in their second um, company and really decided from the very early stages to put a lot of focus on culture. Mm-hmm. And that manifested in so many ways. Um, you know, I think first, like, there was such an attention to bringing in great talent, but also maintaining a really high talent bar. And then setting up an organization that didn't have a bunch of bureaucracy, it didn't have a bunch of, like, Mm-hmm. Unnecessary process. It's culty too. It's a little culty. You know, 
I loved it. Yeah. Um, you know, well, I, who doesn't love a cult? <laughs> <laughs> I personally found it to be one of, I mean, Yeah, it was they're very probably. clear about their culture. It was really important that people that worked there understood the d- direction and vision of a company. Yeah, and I think like real true empowerment. So I've used this example before, but, um, you know, I had just joined the company. I'd only been there for a few months. I was working on this first deal. I was ready to get it signed, but I was not a C-level at the company. And Mm so I remember going to one of my colleagues and being like, who can sign this deal that I've just done? And he looked at me and he's like, well, you can, of course. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. He's like, do you stand by what's there? Do you stand Mm -hmm. by your work? What was the deal? It was a deal with a consumer electronics company to Mm -hmm. get streaming built into products. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, like, I'm completely responsible. I'm completely mm-hmm. autonomous. Like, there's no right. checks. Like, right. And it really encouraged people to do their best work. So right. Netflix's whole philosophy is, like, give people context. Mm-hmm. Give them, like, the broad goals of, like, what we're trying to accomplish, what metrics we need right. to hit, and then, and then the, get out them. of their way. Right. That's and right. that, like, really helps with retention of top talent, attracting top talent. Because at the end of the day, people just want to do their best work. Sure. Most people, not well. everybody. <laughs> so you were doing this, but Twitter. This was 2010. 10. So um, I met Dick Costolo mm-hmm. at a conference. He had taken over from Evan, who had taken over from Jack. So actually, when I first met him, he was still the COO. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you've got to come in and talk to us. Like, you know, it would be great to get you on board. Mm-hmm. And I remember kind of hesitating because, like, I used the product a little bit, Mm -hmm. but I didn't love the consumer product Mm -hmm. yet. I mostly used it to check traffic. Right. Driving down to Los Gatos. Okay. All right. That makes sense. (laughs) And so I was like, you know what? And you would love Netflix. I loved Netflix. Mm -hmm. Like, still, like, one of the most used apps on my phone. Um, And so, anyway, so I was like, you know what? I'll go in. I'll meet the founders. I'll meet, you know, kind of some of the early team and just, like, try to understand, like, what could Twitter become? And after those first few conversations, I was absolutely hooked on the broad vision, mm-hmm. which is like anybody in the world can have a voice and anybody in the world can communicate with each other in real time, in public. Like, that is such a powerful idea and powerful concept. And so after a series of conversations and negotiations, I decided to join. Right. And you did business development. I did business development. Um, and what so, was the goal then? Because things have changed rather dramatically <laughs> at Twitter So that, many times. At that point, we were focused on just growth, growth, growth. Mm -hmm. So we were doing lots of interesting deals with mobile companies around trying to get Twitter distributed broadly through carriers, through operating system partners, and through OEMs. So one of the first deals that I worked on there was actually getting uh, Twitter integrated into the Apple iOS 5, Mm -hmm. which this is, again, showing like how long I've been in the industry. But back then, like iOS was a completely closed operating system. Mm-hmm. And so you had to do kind of these like unique integrations with right. Apple to be able to do just basic things like tweeting and sharing from different apps across the phone. Right. And so it was this huge kind of like monumental moment in Twitter's, um, you know, kind of putting us on the map. Apple actually did the partnership with Twitter before they did the one with Facebook. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like this huge, you know, I cementing remember. us as like a real social network or information so what, network. What were you that when you were there? You were you were thinking of that this was going to be the biggest communications network of all time. The, the comparisons to Facebook didn't work out so well for for Twitter. Yeah, I mean they're really different products. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the value and the use that you get out of them. And I think that's probably one of the early mistakes was like we did a lot of the same metrics as Facebook. Mm-hmm. So then we were always measured and compared against Facebook, even though the products and the value that it brought to consumers was really different. Mm-hmm. So you spent a lot of time there during those years when there was heavy growth, a lot of heavy criticism to yes. the ups and downs of it. Did you think you wanted to be a venture capitalist or did you think you were going to stay in an operating role at whatever company you were at? I really thought that I would stay in operating. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was in 2015 Mm -hmm. that a few of us over drinks, as these things often Mm -hmm. happen, it was post-Twitter IPO, um, we were starting to see just different folks from our network at Twitter uh, starting companies. Mm -hmm. And so we were starting to get pings around, hey, like, do you want to angel invest? Right. And we were starting to make, like, a few small bets here and there. But we decided, like, if we banded together, and it ended up being six of us, we all worked at Twitter, we were all in different exact roles there, that we would 6x our deal flow, Mm -hmm. we would 6x discussion on deals, but most importantly, we'd 6x the value to our entrepreneurs that we were working with Mm -hmm. because we had such diverse backgrounds in terms of the types of things that we had helped grow, whether at Twitter or other companies. Mm -hmm. And so in typical Silicon Valley fashion— we threw up a blog post. 
We mm-hmm. said, we're open for business. Mm-hmm. We're hashtag angels. We're an angel investing collective. And we want to work with great entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And that's all you need to do in Silicon but it was Valley. All, it was different. <laughs> well, it was different. You were all women, right? Correct? We are all women. So what, yes. was that a thought process that you wanted to invest in more women-focused companies? or Because, you know, most... Men just invest wherever they feel like. It's often with other men. Yeah. It was kind of interesting. So a lot of folks in the media reached out, and they're like, oh, my gosh, like, you're all women. Mm -hmm. Are you going to only invest in women? Well, it's unusual. It's like saying, oh, my God, it's a unicorn. Yes. (laughs) So we basically said, like, we're going to be the best investors possible, and we'll share, you know, any diversity statistics with you once we have those numbers. And so now I can say almost five years later, we've invested in more than 100 companies, and 40% of our companies have a female founder or female CEO. But was that the thinking? I mean, I know it's interesting because I think the, there is an extra burden on women executives to be women-friendly. You know what I mean? Like, is it, it's you have to do But when you were thinking of hashtag angels, were you conceiving it as a, as a woman-focused thing? I mean, definitely the six of us happen to be women. Right. And we realized that not a lot of female founders were getting funding. Mm-hmm. And so we definitely thought so that— So it was an opportunity. We saw it as an opportunity. And I will say we see a lot of female founder deal flow mm-hmm. because we all happen to be women. And people have noticed that about the group. So I think that definitely helps in terms of, like, how many companies that we're able to back. Um, because the deal flow is—we see a lot of female founder deals. Why don't they get as much funding? Why do these women founders not get as much funding or have more difficulty? Everyone tells the exact same story. Yeah. I mean, they can't all suck. Like, <laughs> that's what I, you know, like they can't all be worse, quantumly worse than the series of white guys that keep getting so funded. Here's one of the interesting things that I've realized since coming into venture is, I mean, it's so subjective, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you're doing like pre-seed, seed, series right. A, some series B, like there's just not much data to right. evaluate. No, they make things up. So you end up having to come to like personal conviction and personal excitement about companies. Mm-hmm. And so not to generalize, but, you know, is a man maybe going to be as excited about a company that a woman has started? Maybe it's a woman-specific product. You know, he just may not feel that same level of excitement or conviction. And there's um, more male venture capital. And, of course, historically, it's been, you know, almost all predominantly male. Mm-hmm. That's obviously starting to shift, and you're starting to see, you know, more female founders getting mm-hmm. funded. But it's more than that. It can't be that they're stupid. I think that's the their stupid argument, right? <laughs> they, they just can't. They can't see it or I mean, you should be able to understand people's lives yeah. no matter who you are. But talk a little bit about that because that would think that you—I mean, I've talked to not just funding women but like Steve Case and Mark Cuban about funding lots of different people in different parts of the country. Yep. That that people in other parts of the country don't get funded. People of color don't get funded. People from different backgrounds don't get funded. Like it's, you know, certain category areas don't get funded. Ag tech, you know what I mean? That's yep. starting. When you look at that, how do you think about that? I want to get into your job at Lightspeed, too. Like, what what's broken about venture capitalists that that's what— is there just so much deal flow that it doesn't matter, that they don't have to be interesting or, or be interested? So I think one of the hardest things about investing— mm-hmm. um, and granted, I've been doing it for like five years, so mm-hmm. I'm still early in right. my investing career. Sure, that's all right. You know, you're so nice to say that. Most men wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. I can I mean, do it. It takes— 10 years Mm -hmm. to really get feedback on On what you've done. On what you've done. And so in lieu of feedback, people look for other signals. And so whether it's pattern matching Mm -hmm. of who's been successful before, okay, I'm going to back this type of person to answer, you know, some of your earlier questions. Or sometimes when I see this a lot in the industry, it's who else is looking at this deal? Who else is on the cap table? Right. Who else is investing? So there's a lot of groupthink in the industry mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, if people hear that Lightspeed is looking at something, it's like, er, like everyone right. takes notice. Like, right. well, we should go look at that right. too. Or yeah. if Sequoia is looking at something. Well, it's popularity. It's sort of the popularity contest. Yeah. And so you end up having just a disproportionate amount of attention kind of going to like a handful of companies. They're super competitive. You see crazy valuations that are happening um, in the industry because there is a lot of groupthink. Mm-hmm. So, differentiate between what you were doing with Angel. So, you started to do investing while you were an executive, an operational executive. Yep. Yeah. So, the way Hashtag Angels was set up was that it's a collective. So, we each got so to write— early stage. Early stage. So, small checks, like how much? 
So on average, 25K right. per person into right. a deal. Sometimes we go larger, sometimes we go smaller. Also depends on round dynamics of how much capital you can get into companies mm-hmm. because a lot of there's a lot of capital, as I'm sure you've heard. Mm-hmm. So a lot of rounds get oversubscribed really quickly. But um, the way that we would typically work is, is one of us would hear about an opportunity. We would ask the founder, hey, you know, as you probably know, I'm part of Hashtag Angels. Do you mind if I share the mm-hmm. deal flow with the other five women in the group? Like 99% of the time, they're like, absolutely. Like, I want all of that operating experience. So we'd bring it back to the group and say, hey, like, I'm going to invest. Like, here's why. And then some folks would say, like, yes, I want to invest. Some would say, no. Some would just be really busy because we're all operators. And then we would end up making investments. So a little bit different than being part of a venture fund where you're mm-hmm. writing much larger checks, you're getting partnership consensus, you're taking board seats. It's just a very different type of investing. All right. And so you were doing this and you would all have to agree on an, on a no. No. Like each of us had our own check writing ability. Right. That you should do angels. It, but the, the deal flow would come together. Did you tend to invest together? So there are probably, I'd have to look at the data, maybe like eight companies where all six of us have invested out of that Mm -hmm. 100-ish that we've done. And then there's another tranche where maybe four or five of us have invested. And then there's stuff like some— why be together at all? I mean, what's the point of of a group like this? First and foremost, it really is about founders. So even if I've backed a company—so I'll give a good example. Mm -hmm. I backed a company called Cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a really interesting platform. It's a marketplace that matches celebrities with people who want personalized video shout-outs from them. Right. They're growing like crazy. Um, and so crazy. <laughs> it's super interesting. It's the new digital selfie. I know. It's just, I don't know. Has anybody sent you a cameo yet? I hope not. <laughs> okay, we got to remedy that. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Sean Hayes is a friend of mine. He's on Will and Grace, and he did it by himself, and I didn't pay a dime for it. <laughs> He had had him say hello, then the guy who plays Will said hello, and then Deborah Messing was like, who's Kara Swisher? And that was my favorite thing. (laughs) So that was my entire cameo that I got. Thank you, Sean Hayes, for that. I have to say— Kathy Griffin sends me mean videos sometimes, but I just enjoy those. See, you're so popular, you don't even need to I guess, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, But really incredible platform. But they had an instance where um, some right— wing kind of like Nazi trolls hijacked Brett Favre Mm -hmm. and had him saying some really terrible kind of coded language in cameos. And then they were sharing them on Reddit and YouTube and things. And, you know, Brett Favre had no idea. And so as soon as that happened, Mm -hmm. um, I put the founder of Cameo in contact with Vijagade, who's the chief legal officer who runs, you know, policy. Who knows from neo-Nazi trolls. Yes, from her, you know, nine years or whatever it's been at Twitter. And so even though she hadn't personally invested in the company, she's like, let me jump on the phone with them. Let me share some best practices, like all these things, you know, kind of that we've learned along the way. So that's the real value of the group Mm -hmm. is you get to tap into all six of us. And we really do try to help out each other's portfolio companies, even Mm -hmm. if not everyone is invested. Why not start a firm? (laughs) You know, it might be something that we'll consider. Um, You know, I think like angel investing is still really different. Than mm-hmm. venture investing, you know, investing personal capital versus having accountability to the LPs yeah. is like really different. Also, round dynamics are really different. So, right. getting, you know, maybe it's like a few hundred K from all of us into a round, that's like one thing. Going out leading or co leading a round, that's a different thing to get to ownership requirements to be able to return a fund. All right. When we're talking here with Jana Messerschmidt, we're going to talk about her venture capital career and how she looks at it going forward when we get back. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, 
Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're here with Jana Messerschmidt. She is a partner at Lightspeed, uh, the Lightspeed venture capital firm. She also does angel investing through hashtag angels, former executive at Netflix and Twitter. So, Jenny, so then you moved to Lightspeed. So you didn't form a venture capital firm, even an early stage one, from hashtag angels. Yeah, you know, actually, one other thing that I just want to touch on with hashtag mm-hmm. angels before we move off of it is, um, you know, we, you asked a little bit about, you know, did we go into this kind of thinking about backing only women yeah. or female founders? Yeah. And one of the realizations that we had a few years into doing this when mm-hmm. we had sat on enough cap tables right. was we had seen the cap tables, and oftentimes we were the only women on them. Right. There were no other female angel investors unless there was a female founder. It was just completely MIA from <laughs> any sort yeah. of diversity. And there was just that recent Twitter thing about someone at uh, WeWork who had been there early, not on, not, not on the cap table, but didn't have any stock. Yes. And so— we kind of, like, had this realization that, like, okay, it's great that tech has started to measure representation of women mm-hmm. and minorities in terms of, like, what does it make yeah. up in terms of your employee count. That's a great start, and mm-hmm. it's really important in terms of, like, how products and policies are developed. Presumably, because it's always jack shit, jack shit, <laughs> jack shit every year. But go ahead. <laughs> sure. So that's Presumably. Step, that's step one. Mm-hmm. But really, like, the biggest metric Mm. that matters in the Valley— Money. —is money, Mm -hmm. right? It's the power. It's the wealth. It's the, you know, dynamics that are generated from this wealth that's created from successful companies. Mm -hmm. And so we're, like, put out a call to action to the industry. We called it hashtag the gap table Mm -hmm. instead of the cap table. Got it. (laughs) Clever, Jana. And we basically said, you know, we think that even though women make up roughly a third of employees in tech now— we think that they hold far less equity. Oh, absolutely. And so we put out this blog post, call to action, start measuring this. And then Henry Ward, um, who's the CEO of Carta, he reached out to us immediately. And he's like, I have your data. Mm-hmm. He's like, do you guys want to do a project together? Mm-hmm. And we're like, absolutely. Right. So we ended up working with his data science team. Explain what Carta does. Oh, so uh, Carta is a software tool that allows companies to manage their equity digitally. Yes. So I before see. Carta— It's a really interesting like, company. If you I weren't, have some friends who work there. Yes. I'm um, also an investor, both mm-hmm. with Hashtag Angels as well as uh, Lightspeed as an investor as well. But, you know, before Carta, you basically had paper stock certificates. I still mm-hmm. have some of these from, mm-hmm. like, my first, like, year or two of angel investing. And Carta has basically digitized all of that. And they right. have, like, a huge vision of how they're going to, like, completely disrupt mm-hmm. private markets, which is super fascinating. So, anyway, so Carta is sitting on this data. He had over 6,000 companies worth of data. And he's like, who owns what? (laughs) Of who owns what in the Valley. So we did this big project. And the headline that comes from it is that even though women make up a third of employees, they hold just 9% of the equity value. What a shock. What a shock, Anna. (laughs) I would not be shocked. I would think that was high. I mean, you could look at all of the S1s Mm -hmm. from this year and, like, go through and look at, like— who are the people who own significant chunks of the company, Mm -hmm. and women are practically nowhere. Right. So? So that kind of turned into this broader rallying cry for us, which is even though with Hashtag Angels, we want to continue to be great investors and continue to back great companies, our mission is how do we get more women on the cap tables? So how do you get more women on the cap tables? That's a nice mission, but how do you do that? So first step is is you have to measure it. Mm -hmm. So Carta has some tools now that allow Mm -hmm. their companies to measure who has ownership. Henry, actually, after he went through this exercise, he measured his own gap table and uh, um, basically allocated an additional $8 million of equity awards for women Mm -hmm. to close that gap. He's also been very public around wanting to hire more female executives as well as more female board members. Because it's not enough board members, not enough executives. So if you look at the cap table, it's primarily for groups that have the majority of equity. Right. It's founders, it's early employees, which those skew, engineers, 
um, because those are the pe- first people building the company. It's executives, and then it's your investors. Right. Those are the people who take up the big chunks of the cap table. Mm-hmm. And behind investors, you know, there's obviously individual investors, and there's venture investors, and then behind right. the venture investors, there's LPs, right. which is like a whole other ball of wax to get into. But you have to start getting representation of more female founders, more early engineers and early employees, and then also more female executives. Like, that's how you start to close that gap. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to measure it. So, CART is one example of a company that's doing this. Mm-hmm. Another company that we backed at Hashtag Angels is a company called Compass. Mm-hmm. Comp as a service, right. not the real estate got it, play. Got it, yeah. Um, it's actually these two female founders. One sold her last company to Facebook. Another sold her last company to StubHub. But they're creating compensation analytics and planning tools right. with diversity well, inclusion people don't know in. is what they don't. You, you intuitively know it, but you don't see it measured or, in, or in, understand the impact of it. Exactly. And I think when you look at the impact, like when you look at all the downstream impacts of the wealth that's generated in the Valley, the people who are the billionaires or the hundreds of billionaires, they're the ones who are in the privileged position to go start the next venture funds. Right. They're the ones who are investing, yeah. To start their next companies, Mm -hmm. self-funded so that they own as much of it as possible. They're the ones who get to choose what philanthropic endeavors that they want to give to, what political campaigns they want to give to. And like women just don't have a seat at that table at all. So the policies, politics, philanthropies that are being shaped, like women are just far underrepresented. So measuring it is the first step, but how do you change that? Measuring is the first step. Also, I think a big step is getting people to understand equity. If you've been around in the Valley for long enough, like you start to understand, like, here's how you value the equity that you're given. Here's mm-hmm. how you negotiate for it. And if you already have had liquidity or a successful exit, you can exercise options. And then you get preference on tax treatment and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times women just have not had access to that information in those networks. So one of the things when I first joined Lightspeed was we did a um, negotiation summit that mm-hmm. was hashtag angels and Lightspeed. We invited about 100 women. They came, they heard from Henry Ward, they heard from Max Levchin, they heard from Jana Rich, um, mm-hmm. who's a person who has a talent management company. Mm-hmm. And then we also um, had Maggie Neal from Stanford GSB mm-hmm. talk about how you negotiate for yeah. equity. Yeah. So that's like a first step. Absolutely. Um, but we have to do more on an education basis. You know, as an investor, now that you're at Lightspeed, which, you're doing, which is a venture firm, um, yeah. which had some issues around one of its partners, yeah. you know, and, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. You know um, his name. What's his name? Come on. <laughs> that asshole. It was way before my time. All right. You, but they wanted to bring in a woman venture cat. They, they definitely were like, we aren't diverse enough. We aren't thinking about it. We have to actively promote it. And it wasn't just, let's hire a woman. It's that they understood they were at a loss in terms of, of what they were doing. It wasn't like, let's just add one woman or one person of color. It was more. We Absolutely. Saw. I mean, we have eight women mm-hmm. on the investing team now, right. which is incredible. I know. Like, I haven't felt so much diversity um, pretty much ever in my career. No, no, no. That's unusual. Wow, Jeremy. Good Jeremy. Um, So uh, I remember he and I talked about it during that time. God, I can't remember that guy's name. Just let's call him that asshole. Um, So it's actually a hindrance rather than – see, what's interesting is when you talk to venture capitalists, they're more like, oh, I got one one type, this type, and that kind of thing versus that it's actually an asset. And getting people in those powerful positions to understand that it's an asset is much more difficult. Or getting the penny to drop that it actually helps dialogue, it helps ideas and things like that. And it just, it's, it's very nagging that it n- doesn't change. It doesn't happen to change unless you have enormous success at Lightspeed or Angel, hashtag Angel or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great because we're starting to see a lot more women come into investing roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say we're at, you know, kind of stage one for a lot of these firms where it's like they've hired one woman. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't solve the problem. Like, yeah. <laughs> you got to continue to hire and you've got to continue to diversify across mm-hmm. the team. Um, so I've been really excited by how much attention Lightspeed's paid to it. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's starting to show in the numbers too. Like on the consumer side of investing, mm-hmm. I think it's about a third of our companies over the last few years have a female founder, mm-hmm. which is pretty um, right. incredible. Um, and it's not just to like do that for to be good. It's a really interesting, because it's always painted by a lot of people, oh, we just want to do that to be good. Or, And I'm like, 
No, because you have opportunities you're not seeing. Like, that, you know, if, you, if you're just sitting here in Sand Hill Road with the same old people, you're going to get the same old result. And you may, in fact, be successful because there's plenty of rat holes to shove the money down, but it, it still doesn't mean you're doing a very good job. I also think, especially on the consumer side, mm-hmm. um, you know, the technology has become democratized, whether it's through things yeah. like Shopify or Stripe right. Right. or AWS, where— you know, the next great consumer companies can come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be out of the Bay Area. And you've already started to see this, right? Like, there are huge pockets of success coming out of L.A., out of New York. Um, you know, Cameo is based in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've seen some really interesting stuff in Atlanta and Austin. So I think you're going to continue to see um, founders that, you know, don't come from the same places and don't maybe right. look exactly like what, you know, they looked like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I'm always interested in the concept, and Gene Case was talking about this, that there, is, there isn't a lack of talent, there's a lack of opportunity Yes. Um, in places. So do you do tend to think that's your advantage in it being at Lightspeed or Hashtag Angels is that you have a different perspective? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, I've got some of the same Silicon Valley networks yes. that a lot of folks do. you do. But we also have tapped into some differentiated networks. And so, you know, especially with like Hashtag Angels, when founders are like, why should we work with you? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, we've got all this operating experience. It's like 100 years or something mm-hmm. between all of us. And um, But we're also in different networks than you. So we've helped a lot of our companies find those first female engineers or mm-hmm. find those first, like, female exec hires because we're in networks that they may not, may not be may in. May not be able to get into. Do you think that's a selling point? Do you think venture has really changed? I mean, how do you look at the landscape right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely— an evolving industry. They seem to be going sure. back to their same old practices some days. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to be very optimistic. And maybe okay. that's just being at mm-hmm. light speed and seeing all the strides right. that we're taking on right. this front um, around hiring different types of folks. And by the way, like, I think we talk about diversity a lot and we think about gender mm-hmm. or maybe we think about race or we think about sexuality. But I also think, like, you have to think about diversity in terms of, like, backgrounds. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like people from Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> Illinois. Illinois. Don't get your oh flyover states confused. <laughs> I'm always doing that to Eric. I'm always like, I'm going to Indiana, uh, Illinois. She's like, Indiana. I'm like, all right. We Midwesterners are proud. I'm, a, I'm such an, a, a coastal elite. It's horrible. I hope you guys are going to be live tweeting this whole experience. Exactly. Are you kidding? <laughs> oh, my God. It's gonna, I'm like, gonna, it's so earnest. There's going to be so much earnestness. I don't know what I'm going to do. They're probably, you know. So here's how you're going to earn your street. It'll be like summer. Suddenly I'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> popcorn sacrifice. Here's how you earn your street cred oh, in the Midwest. Me. What? Oh, um, no. You ask Don't pe- say be nice. It's not possible. <laughs> you ask people if they've ever tasseled corn. It's the Midwestern rite of passage. Dirty. <laughs> Detassel. I, I know what a corn tassel is, but... <laughs> so this was my job, and I think Erica did this job for a while, too. Um, for six years growing up as a kid, you'd go out into the cornfields, and yeah. you would basically pull the tassels off the top of corn to create certain hybrids of corn. There's male corn and there's female corn, FYI. Jana? <laughs> so. But it'll it'll earn you some grad. absolutely no interest in detasseling <laughs> corn ever in my life. Do I have to say, when I've worked at different companies and people are complaining that right. you know the free snacks aren't quite as good, I'm like, you say I detasseled. You corn. need to go work in some cornfields. Really? <laughs> Do we? Yes. Do we? All right, Janet. All right, so I want to finish up just very briefly talking about where you think venture capital is going, where you think the big trends are. Yeah, um, you know, some areas that I'm spending a lot of time focusing mm-hmm. on. And is it different from Angel versus? Um, I don't Lightspeed. think so. I mean, the big difference between angel investing and venture investing in addition to check size is mm-hmm. as an angel investor, you know, I could write like 10 or 15 checks a year, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they're smaller checks. Sure. But with venture investing, you usually make a few bets a year. Right. Um, so you really have to like kind of have a different filter. And you're also typically signing up to hopefully work with the company for like a decade, mm-hmm. taking a board seat. So it's just, it's a different level of commitment. Um, but some of the areas that I've been really interested in, both as an angel, but now also at Lightspeed, is I'm staying close to my operating roots because I definitely feel like I'll be able to really add a lot of value for the founders, um, but digital and social media. Mm-hmm. So my personal belief is like we're entering into social 3.0. Okay. Um, you know, we had there hasn't for, been a lot of big investments in social. There hasn't so there, been a new social network since Snapchat, really. There hasn't. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you look at why and you talk to entrepreneurs as to why that is, is for a long time, your exit was either 
Facebook Fine. was going to buy you. Or Twitter. Or they were going to copy you. Right, copy you. <laughs> yeah, that's what they still do. And so, you know, I think that you've seen a lot of the innovation happening in social uh, actually happening in places like China and India. Mm-hmm. And so my take is, is that as NPS, so Net Promoter Score, basically satisfaction with Facebook continues to decline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in developed markets, their growth has been stagnant or declining. Mm-hmm. You're going to see more of an opportunity for um, entrepreneurs to come in and kind of create the next wave of social mm-hmm. because Facebook's not quite the dominant force that it once was. Oh, that's a big call, Jana, Mr. I know. Schmidt. All right, what else? <laughs> so that's I like your guts there. That's definitely one area that okay. I'm spending time in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've made a few investments at Lightspeed so far, mm-hmm. um, and two of the three I've made have been kind of in that space. Um, I also think that vertical social networks are going to continue to become popular. And you already see pieces of this, right? You've got Nextdoor for neighbors. You've got Discord for gamers. Mm -hmm. But there are just natural communities that form Mm -hmm. um, that aren't well served by the big platforms. I'm definitely going to start the farmer's (laughs) network. (laughs) You can be be my first friend. No, I shall not. Um, so vertical social, I think, is definitely kind of something that I'm spending a lot of time mm-hmm. thinking about. Mm-hmm. I'm also spending a lot of time thinking about audio. So as new hardware has emerged, things like AirPods, things like Alexa. So you're back to hardware. I am back to hardware. Huff, it's funny how things come many, full circle. <laughs> many people have died on that hill, on the hardware hill. I'm not necessarily saying that it's a hardware bet, mm-hmm. but there will be a whole class of new applications, services, tools that will serve kind of the audio use case. Mm -hmm. And as you move to a world where audio is potentially always on, Mm -hmm. I mean, when I walked in today, like you had your AirPods in, like you now have the ability to be in somebody's ear at any given moment. Right, um, absolutely. Which is a pretty cool... It's like that movie Her. Do you remember that movie? Yes. (laughs) It's a pretty cool, like, new opportunity. Yeah, it's true. You're right. I could be, it could be, they could be on all the time and telling me different things. Now you have a mating. And I don't, I don't use them for their full potential. You're right. 100%. Well, it's also hard because we always end up losing them. But. Yes. Well, I have 16 <laughs> pairs. I almost left a pair in the Uber today, speaking of which. Anywhere else? Anywhere else like transportation or? Um, so I was an angel investor in Bird, the mm-hmm. scooter company. Ah. Yes. You know, I just did the Lime president, Joe Krauss. Um, so my husband actually works at Lime. Ah, interesting. <laughs> uh, your husband is from Uber, too. He is also from Uber. Your husband um, was a character in that drama. Um, minor role. Minor role, yeah. yeah, yeah. He managed to <laughs> escape unscathed. I don't know how, but there I he not read the Super Pumped book Yeah, yet. I just had Mike Isaac in th- earlier this morning to talk about it. Yes. Um, so my husband and I were talking about this last night. It might go the way of hatching Twitter. It right. It took me a few years post-leaving Twitter oh, to read right. hatching Twitter. Right. This so one's better, Super Pumped might be I love the same. Bilton, but this one's more in the—you'll like—you should read it. Yeah. I, yeah. I've got to give myself so a little bit of So you're in Bird and your husband works at Lime. I yes. love it. What a Silicon Valley story. <laughs> Tell me about that space really quickly because you know I love it. I love the scooter business. Yeah, I actually I listened to your Joe Kraus um, I love the interview. scooter business. I'll I have Bird guy in. Yeah, Travis is great. Um, yeah. You know, he's got a ton of experience. I have experience. a problem with people named Travis for, for <laughs> post-traumatic stress from Kalanick. But go ahead. TVZ versus TK. Whatever. But, you know, when I first talked to Travis at Bird about investing, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's like, he basically, coming out of Uber and Lyft, had realized that for trips under three miles, like, it just wasn't well served by Uber. It no. wasn't well served Last by mile. public transit. I'm writing about it in the New York Times tomorrow. Awesome. Um, yeah. So he basically was just like, you know what, I'm going to go to China, and I'm going to spend some time looking at different form factors and try to figure Which out what they fits. had many. Yeah. And so he landed on electric scooters. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to him the first time, and he's like, this is either going to, like, be incredibly successful or it's going to completely flop. Like, I don't know if consumers are going to love it or hate it. Like, we'll see. And it's like when you have that first experience on a scooter, yeah. it's so freaking magical. Agreed, agreed, <laughs> agreed, agreed. You want to share it on social media. It's fascinating. Like, you know, there's a, it's you either love it, which most people who use it do, or you hate it, and then there are a reporter who wants to write about them lying all over the streets. Yes. But you can't combine the two. Like, if, I'm sick of those stories. I'm like, you know what? They'll work it out, like just like they did with Uber, just like they did with Lyft. And whether it's a, and to me, it's a better business. Like it actually is a better business than it. There's no driver. There's, there's no, no driver. Complications. The big issues are safety. Uh, whether there's bike lanes in cities, which changes the equation, and whether you can get helmets on people, like it's, that's in the safety yep. bucket, and then figuring out sort of how to how to build a better piece of hardware to be able to withstand potholes and, and things like that. But safety is the principal problem. And then there's a few others that are, you know, city regulatory kind of stuff. But it seems inevitable 
that these last mile. I've, in Los Angeles, I just saw those tiny little bikes, those motorized bikes. Wheels. Wheels, which is really interesting. I'm not yeah. sure. I didn't get on one yet. I have not gotten on one, but I've I seen them when I'm in SoCal. Yeah, yeah, but it's interesting. It's an interesting thing, but I do think people immediately go to the least common denominator of the complaints, and I'm like, you're not thinking this thing through. They actually really work, and people really like them. Yeah. And have the question you, is— Have what? you been on a one-wheel yet? What's a one-wheel? Oh, those things? No, I'm not doing those. I'm too old. <laughs> So my uh, my husband got one about a year ago, and um, he's obsessed with it. He yeah, takes I know. It every day to work. Yeah, and a lot. Of, this is this one wheel. Yes, it's basically it's like um kind of like a hoverboard, but yeah. it's like kind of like snowboarding. Yeah, it's a little too much. Yeah, no, it's really. Fun. I know. There's a lot of them. It's interesting. <laughs> I'm watching. I'm I, I see them around, but mostly they're owned. They're mostly owned. They're have, they I haven't are. seen the rental solution. Yes, yet. scooter no. seems to be a perfect solution if you can get past the safety issues. I think um, actually the one wheel would be tough as a oh. rental because they there is a learning curve. Yeah, um, and you could die. Right, you could. <laughs> Yeah, but they're really fun. So yeah, just something to add to your list yeah. of fun things to do. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that, Jana. Wear a helmet. I'm not going to do that. It's like it's like asking for it. It's scooters. I've gone far enough. I have my brother on my case all the time. He just uh, I, I have to wear wrist guards now, apparently, which I'm going to. Hey. Why not? I like my wrists. They work well. When we first started on the one wheel, we had like full blown knee pads. So what do you, like what do you, how guards, is it like everything. at home when you you're at Bird and he's at Lime? It's we kind of joke. We're like, well, no matter what happens in micro mobility between right. Uber, Bird, <laughs> and Lime, like we're covered. All right. So. Last question. You know, you've been at Netflix. You've been at Twitter. You're doing this Bird and Lime things like that. What if you had to like fix anything about one of those two companies that you worked at or venture capital? What would it be if you could wave your wand? Oh gosh. Um, Netflix. You know, what do you imagine is going to happen to them? I think the space is getting increasingly crowded. Yeah. Right? So all of the early advantages that Netflix had from a tech perspective, being first mover into streaming, Mm -hmm. being the first company kind of embedded in all these devices, being the first to produce original content, like those windows are going away. Um, And so it really is going to be a content game. And Mm -hmm. so how are they going to actually acquire, produce the best content when you've got Disney, Apple, like pick your zillion different companies that are getting Mm -hmm. into the space? Um, So that would probably be the thing that I would watch the most is Mm -hmm. are they able to stay really competitive on the content front? Because now content truly will be king. And what about Twitter? Twitter. Oh, gosh. Um, You know, Twitter has so much potential. Like, it always does. It always does, right? I mean, but it I never reaches it. <laughs> Jenny, you got to give up on that. I love Twitter, but it's never getting there. <sighs> Donald Trump is Twitter. And <laughs> that is where it's going to end. Oh, that's a sad ending, um, if that is the end. But, you know, I think, like, Twitter had a bunch of technical debt, which really slowed down, like, execution and pace of, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. being able to launch new features and stay competitive with newer companies like Instagram and Snap that popped up. Um, I think a lot of that technical debt should hopefully be erased by now, but I just want to continue to see them, like, execute and really pick up that pace of execution because I think Twitter could be used by everyone in the world, Mm -hmm. which still is, like, kind of hard for people to understand how to get value out of it. Yeah, it's been hijacked by all the forces of bad. And it's like, you know, I don't know if you— On use, all sides. Do you use TikTok? No, no. Okay, I'm obsessed with Are TikTok. Yeah. Like, it's replaced Well my, done. It's replaced my Facebook and Instagram and Snap usage. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that TikTok does so great is, like, you open up the app. You don't have to build out a follow graph. You don't have to put effort into it to get immediate joy out yep. of it. Yep, And that's one I of the things— I saw the dog eating the spaghetti. <laughs> I saw it. You have to follow um, Sad Cat Diaries. I don't, actually. Jen. Oh, my God. All right, I It's will. so good. Okay. All right. It's basically just videos of cats. I am like, nervous about the Chinese ownership, I have to say. I'm like, oh, there God, is, I want that on my phone. Yeah, there, I, I definitely get the concerns. Um, but, you know, they've really nailed that, like, yes, first you're right. experience so out has, of the box. So has, by the way, a lot of the Chinese communications apps and everything else. Yeah. It's just the surveillance part that just makes me slight. And I maybe yeah. not even true. I, I'm being surveilled by Facebook and Instagram, too. Yeah. But it's just to sell me toilet paper versus possible other things. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious what's happening in your feed that you're getting toilet paper ads. <laughs> I, you know, whatever it is, they're up to it. I don't use Facebook at all, so I use Twitter quite a bit. Anyway, and then and then venture capital, what would you fix? Venture capital. I want to see increased 
dollars going into female founders. Um, so, you know, that number of like women get two to three percent of venture funding has been pretty static. Yep. More companies are getting funded, but seeing female founders getting funded at every stage, and that just takes time, right? You've got yeah. a lot more women coming into like seed and A companies, but like seeing some huge successes by female founders. Yep, that would be great. Anyway, Jenna, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much Thanks for, for having coming me on. on the show. And I'm not going to get on the one-wheeled bike thing. But <laughs> good luck, Dave. <laughs> good luck in Indiana. Yeah, thank you. So don't even, don't. You know it's going to be a disaster. Anyway, you can, it could be an international incident or a national incident. <laughs> anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer is Erica Anderson of Indiana. Right, is that right? She's from Indiana. That's right. right. Is Erica is it Erica America? My producer Eric Johnson is at Hey Hey ESJ. Eric, where are you from? Uh, Maryland. Maryland. Oh, I like Maryland. I can I can <laughs> deal with Maryland. Anyway, Jana, where can people find you online? I'm at Janimal. Janimal. What? Did you like get that being? Did you? Did you take that? Oh no, I got that all the way back in like oh seven or oh, eight. Man. But that was my uh, nickname as a high school basketball player, Janimal the Animal. I'm so sorry we didn't get to that story. <laughs> anyway, if you liked this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. How do people find angels? Hashtag angels. We're at hashtag angels spelled okay. out. Okay, all right. Because you can't have a pound sign in the username. Oh, so A N G. You have that hashtag. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Hashtag or ad? Ha- at hashtag angels. Oh, great. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, people go look for it. It's a really great group of uh, investors, a great group of women executives. If you liked this episode, we'd appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. Just make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.